Welcome back to the Kingsway Podcast. Welcome. Glad you're here. We're also here. <laughs> got a fun segment today. We uh, got some cool things going on. Uh, Ryan, it's almost Easter. It is almost Easter. Are you feeling it? I'm feeling Are it, you Mr. Krabs. <laughs> uh, yeah. People keep saying, oh, Easter's almost here. And I'm like, you think? <laughs> Just wiping the sweat from my forehead. <laughs> I feel like when <laughs> when other pastors get around other pastors around Easter, it's like this kinship of suffering. Yeah. <laughs> Even though you're in different denominations, it's like somebody who served in Korea meeting somebody who served in Iraq, and you're uh-huh. like, I get it. I get it. I get yeah. it. It's, and it's it's not. Yeah. It, it, I would say 95% of it genuinely is self. Like, it's the pressure you put on yourself. Like, yeah. especially in the place we're at. I just yeah. want to do a good job. I want it to go well. It is kind of a special day. Yeah. Um, Part of it for me is like, I love Easter. I love celebrating times of the year that are important in the church and whatever. And also, I'm doing a master's program, and that makes me do a lot of stuff. It does. And you've been doing a lot of stuff. We have the Devos that you've been doing. Yeah. Um, you have <laughs> a candlelight kind of good Friday service that you're planning that I'm very excited about that we yeah. did last year as well. And then also you're just going to redesign the stage. So that's yeah, totally. That. And you're missing my weekly atonement class <laughs> hour and a half <laughs> of like digging into something very heady. Yep. And uh, that's the day after I, I lead a service. Yes. Yeah. So I'm doing great. <laughs> <laughs> you're feeling it. You could uh, send in some uh, <laughs> melatonin through the mail to 900. Either that or some caffeine pills. Uh, either one, one or the other. <laughs> I need them at different times of the day. <laughs> well, uh, today we're going to jump into a segment that we haven't done for a while. We did, I think, last summer for the first time. Yeah. Um, and it was on uh, the character of David. Yeah. And one of the cool things that came out of that, I think, was... Uh, there was a few of we got actually some feedback from people that they really enjoyed that segment um and, and we did too honestly is one of my favorite things we did last year i just don't know that many bible characters like yep. we we could we could just run through the gambit but after about 8 or 10 i'm like mm-hmm. uh mary she's yeah. there for a little bit right <laughs> Or the other Mary? What or about Joseph? He's Joseph. Where'd he, where'd he go? <laughs> <laughs> that would be a three-minute episode. <laughs> no, uh, and I think I think what was so fun it was about how rich, uh, you know, obviously not all the characters, but of how there are yeah. a number of characters that have uh, very rich ties to things. Very have they have? Uh, I think a lot to learn and to grow and to uh, a lot I to think, offer us. Yeah, and just to investigate and be curious about. And they're also people. Um, and so yeah. the part of the, like the humanity side of things. And so, uh, you know, today we're going to dive into a character that um, kind of has two different names, one that obviously sticks more than the other. Um, yeah. And it's a character that is pretty common. And I jokingly uh, mentioned this before we started the podcast that I once tried to read an N.T. Wright book on this character. And I literally listened to about 10 minutes and then immediately returned the book because I was not smart enough to handle <laughs> the level of yeah. <laughs> academia. Yeah. Um, so I'm not going to claim that I know everything or that I have it all figured out. But uh, I think we have uh, enough to have a healthy discussion and kind of maybe whet your appetite for more too because um, there's always, uh, I think a, I think there's things to be learned in, and we can always move forward and yeah. gain, gain understanding. So we're going to talk about 
Uh, Paul. Paul. Also known as Saul. The artist formerly known as Saul. Saul. Yes. Yeah. That's the best way to say it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Author of, I think... Let's see. The many? most books in the New Testament, the most, for sure. The most. I'm trying to think of the number, but I can't pull it off. So there's I'm gonna pray. 23 or 33. Uh, this 33. is bad. There's 33. We have Bible degrees. 33 um, in the New Testament. 64 in the Old, right? 60. Oh my gosh. There's a lot of books in the Bible. 66 books in the whole Bible. <laughs> and that's why I think it was like 23 yeah. and 30. Whatever. We have that. Google. <laughs> anyway, so Paul wrote a lot of the books. He didn't mm-hmm. write any of the Gospels. Nope. Specifically, he didn't write the book of Acts. He didn't write Revelation. He didn't write 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John or 1st and 2nd Peter. Probably didn't write Hebrews. Other than that, everything else. Yes. I'm pretty sure is stuff he wrote. Um, or, or at least it's widely attributed to him. 13 books. 13 books? Mm-hmm. He wrote 13? Mm-hmm. Okay. He wrote 13 he- books of the however many are in the New Testament. Yes. I think all- I just named... Ten. Ten of them? I was going to say. You re- something like that? Well, some of them have two pieces or two parts. And yeah. So, yeah, like, yeah. there's there's that. And, and here's the thing about Paul. Paul is, um, he, <laughs> there's a lot to talk about here. Uh, yeah. I will say this. Paul is, is a recognized uh, tactician when it comes to literary stuff. He studied um, as even at Very places educated. like hard Harvard for even the way he writes his letters. Yeah. Um, he's known for run on sentences that just last forever, which he, was okay back then. Yep. He just keeps yeah. going. <laughs> um, he's also known to have some opinions that are very divisive at times. Yeah. And, uh, I would almost call him a polarizing figure of yeah, the new Testament. Sure. Um, why don't we start at the beginning? Yeah, let's. I mean, yeah. I, I, I kind of set the table, but let, let, let's do that. Let, let's talk about yeah. the background that's in Acts, uh, yeah. to where we get some of the kind of the roots of the story. So, to my knowledge, the first time we see Paul, um, mm-hmm. so this happens to a bunch of characters in the Bible where they have one name and then God interacts with them and they have a new name. Yep. So this kind of happens with uh, Peter, whose name is originally Simon. Mm-hmm. That's why he's called Simon Peter, but. Um, I don't know what Simon means in Greek or Hebrew or anything, um, but his name is Simon. He's he's called by Jesus to be one of his disciples. And then Jesus at some point, I think in some of the books, some of the Gospels, it's when he says, uh, your name should be Peter. And on this rock, yeah, which Peter means rock, Petros yep. uh, means rock. And on this rock, I will build my church. Um, so this happens to a lot of people, Abram to Abraham. Um, there's probably some more examples in there. Um, but, uh, and, and Abraham's wife, Sarai to Sarah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so S- Paul's name is originally Saul. Yeah. And I think the first place we see him, are you at Acts eight? Uh, right seven? before. Seven. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Whatever is the hinge verse between chapter seven and chapter eight, there's this guy who, uh, the apostles of Jesus, his, his 12 disciples minus one, uh, cause he was Judas and he betrayed Jesus and yep. they committed suicide and it was really messy. It's really nasty. And then, uh, they get a new one. Feel anyway, the blood. Those 12, um, they can't do everything the church needs after it's formed. Um, There's like 3,000 people, and they're sharing everything they have, but like they have these responsibilities to lead and to guide and to evangelize, and they can't do all that and do what they know they need to do, take care of orphans and widows. So they appoint these seven people, one of whom's name is Stephen, to be the orphan widow caretakers in the church. And Stephen goes out and is doing that and then is preaching or gets arrested for something. And mm-hmm. and that's uh, uh, chapter six and seven. And he gives this whole speech in seven. It's an incredible speech. That is like, 
you got this all wrong. I need to use my dying moments to tell you about Jesus, who you killed, because yep. he's still in uh, Jerusalem, whatever. Um, okay, so they're about to put him to death, and it, chapter 7 is wrapping up. Uh, verse 60, I'm trying to read past this glare. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep, which he died. Mm-hmm. He died. He got stoned to death. Next verse. And Saul approved of their killing him. Yep. That is the first time we hear about Snaps. Saul. For a Jew who doesn't think, an ancient Jew who doesn't think that Jesus is the Messiah, who thinks that these guys are all nut jobs and just like crazy and and fanatical about whatever, and you're trying to maintain holiness and purity, yes, you want to kill that dude. Yeah. Saul uh, thinks he's doing a good job when he's here approving of the killing of this man. Um, but we read about Saul's story uh, after, yes, after chapter 8. And then uh, we we go through some cool stories and we get to chapter 9. Yep. Saul comes back in the scene. Um, so he's there right at the hinge between chapter 7 and 8. And he's just there for a second showing that he's like in favor of killing. Yeah, and, uh, and Saul's story is just... It's it's wild because it starts with like this basically an approval of martyrdom. Yeah, yeah. Like it ends up turning Stephen into a martyr, the first. Yeah. Um, and then you know he's basically I think almost commissioned by the Pharisees to uh, the teachers of the law. We don't really know yeah. exactly what that means, but it seems like even the Sadducees and Pharisees that agreed on almost nothing all agreed that Jesus needed was yeah. a bad idea. Um, and so they are like sending him out to do this more. Like they're like. Yeah. hearing about other places that the gospel is spreading, and they're like, you need to go put these fires out. And so he's heading yeah. to Damascus to to basically do this again, and, you know, he has this encounter uh, where this light, you know, kind of basically knocks him off his donkey or knocks him on his butt, and, you know, Jesus himself speaks to Saul, yeah, which is, like, crazy. Yeah. And, and the, the, uh, the way that this attaches so much to Moses and the burning bush and like just this idea of like the mountaintop experience with uh, Elijah and, uh, uh, and Abram with uh, Mount Mount of Transfiguration. Yeah, you know yeah, what I mean. Yeah, like yeah. these moments where, when Jesus shows up and God and you know these intentional spaces, there seems to be drastic change, um, in in the people that like so come much down. so that when uh, no, never mind. I was about to say Moses changed his name, but he didn't. He didn't. He, was always he didn't. Moses. But he had it, you know when he comes off with the Ten Commandments after spending time with God, he glowed. Yeah. You know, like he has like a different, so there's, there's just these encounters. And this seems to be one of those where God uh, physically blinds Saul with this light after Jesus or Jesus says, you know, why do you persecute me? And yeah. it's this like revelation that I'm sure. And I don't know if you've ever thought of this, Well, Paul is putting this together for the first time that these are stories that he's read about. Yeah. These are things that he's aware of that this is kind of like, Oh, snaps. I'm on the wrong side. <laughs> I'm on yeah. the wrong team. Yeah. And so he blinds him. He tells him he needs to go and actually go into this town and he needs to meet with this, this guy. What's that guy's name again? I can't remember. It's um, not Barnabas, is it? It might be. It might be. I'm going to check that out real yeah. quick. Oh, gosh. And then one of my uh, favorite favorite names. in uh, Ananias? Yes. He meets Ananias. Yeah. And Ananias uh, basically gives him some food. And then Ananias is a little freaked out. Oh, because, totally okay, freaked out. So this is this is literally like the religious bounty hunter after you. This mm-hmm. is I can think of a few movie characters who are like this. 
But one specifically, I don't know if I'll get in trouble for this, but the Da Vinci Code, Paul mm-hmm. Bettany's like this albino mm-hmm. monk who's also there to like kill you and whatever and yep. super freaky and like everybody's terrified of him for a bunch of reasons. Well, imagine that guy's like, hey, I heard about the reason why people are mad at you and I think I believe you. Like, how quickly are you going to be like, yeah, come on in. Don't kill me, though. Don't kill me. Don't, well, and show me the inner workings of your, you know, the people you love and like where you're going to, you know, and all that. And and, and it's kind of scary. Rightfully so. There's a little hesitation. Um, Saul eventually goes to this pool, washes his eyes, receives his eyesight, and then eats again because he hasn't eaten since he lost it. And then it's like this slow unfolding of his story because everybody's yeah. kind of hesitant and they want to believe that he's been changed. They want to believe that this is. Um, but specifically, he goes to work with this guy named Barnabas. Um, Saul does. And his name now is Paul. So Paul goes to work with Barnabas. And Par- Barnabas and, and, and Paul begin to do this ministry together um, in kind of the north side of, of Israel. And the reputation gets such that um, basically they, they send somebody to come check out that it's the truth. Yeah. They're like, hey, is what you're doing really what you're doing? What, re- you know? what reminds me of this, and this may not be a good example because based on world events, I don't know if it's stuck, mm-hmm. but it reminds me of about two or three years ago uh, when everybody was like, is Kanye West a Christian now? Mm-hmm. He's running around with the Sunday yep. service choir and... Uh, let out a, an album called Jesus is Lord and whatever. And about that situation, I think there's like some mental health stuff going on and other stuff. But there's this moment where everybody was like, this guy used to seem almost antagonistic or yeah. like he celebrated the opposite of what we're about. Yep. And now is he, is he in? Is yeah. he part of this? A hundred percent. Same thing with Justin Bieber, even though he started out as a Christian, and mm-hmm. like his life got really crazy. And then, like he's turning around now and you're, you're watching like reels and YouTube videos of him, like being a sincere Christian and talking to his pastor, but then he'll like go out and sing about whatever. And you're like, is he in? Yep. A hundred percent. Yeah. And there's, there's a little less like flip flop in Paul's life than maybe some of those. Obviously Paul is going, is actually following Jesus has had a full conversion, but I think the hesitation of the culture inside the church and the hesitation of the leadership is feeling that tension. Because yeah. it's not like they're seeing his tweets and they're seeing his, you know, TikToks. <laughs> and it's not so, matching up. Yeah, you know, it's not like that at all. Yeah. It's it's more of they were hearing the story of Stephen and they're hearing the story of what his reputation was yeah. for putting in prison and like you know basically yeah. taking out the church as still just kind of hung on. So Paul goes from that to taken to Jerusalem and they confirm. Guess what? He actually is converted. He, yeah. You know, I think he reveals his his kind of testimony. I'm, I don't yeah. know if Anias goes, but Barnabas at least has enough of a handle on it. And so from then, Paul starts doing just crazy evangelism work. I mean, yeah. just crazy stuff. A, a lot of people call him the first missionary of the church, which is funny because um, like the first overseas traveling kind of missionary mm-hmm. of the church because uh, Jesus at the end of Matthew he has died. He has resurrected. He is about to ascend into heaven. And I think the beginning of Acts 2 yeah. has a version of this. Um, but Jesus at the end of Matthew um, is there with his disciples, the 12 people he's been, well, 11, sorry, Judas, mm-hmm. the 11 people he's <laughs> been training for this thing. And he gives them the great commission right at the end of the book, chapter 28 of Matthew. And he says, go into all the world and and tell them about me and teach them to obey my commandments. Yep. And and uh, baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and I will be with you always to the end of the age. And uh, 
So what do they do? They hide away and just kind of stick to themselves for about 30, 40 something days till Pentecost. And then they receive the Holy Spirit. They preach, they gain 3000 converts. And then they're like, okay, how do we run this organization? They don't all get up and go to all nations, languages. They kind of sit there and they're doing good work. They're not being lazy. They're not being bad. They're trying to like be with these people who have, who have seen Jesus and, and want to like follow him. They're doing honestly good things, but they're not following Jesus' commandment to uh, preach in Jerusalem, Judea, Judea Samaria, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. They're just doing Jerusalem. Yep. And so then they get this like like religious bounty hunter guy on their side, and he's the first one to go out. Yep. There are different moments called diasporas where um, from crushing events from the outside, the Christians gathered in Jerusalem are kind of like oppressed and pressed down. Yep. And uh, just like something flexible that's pressed down, it kind of splooshes out the sides and whatever. So there are these moments, AD 70 is one of them, where the temple's destroyed, and they all scatter. They all flee and scram, and then they go to the ends of the earth. Um, There are moments before that where Christians do that, but Paul is the first one to be like, okay, I'm out of here. Well, and he does it several times. I mean, that's the crazy thing. I think he does three separate journeys. Three separate journeys. And, you know, the first one, he he heads out to the island that's in the Mediterranean. Um, uh, I think it's Crete. What is the island? Something like that. Something like that. And finds Timothy. Yeah. And, you know, he takes with him John Mark. Yeah. And Barnabas. Who's the author of the Gospel of Mark. Yep. And John Mark freaks out and has to leave because they're, I mean, they're on ships. And we find out from some of his later letters that, He's shipwrecked. He's been, you know, all this stuff and yeah. everywhere he's going. And then he starts running into these cities on kind of the, I would say it's almost like the the south side of Europe. Or it's, yeah. you know, it's it's these little Asia Minor, Asia Minor Turkey. Turkey. Yeah. yeah. And so the the letters that he has are to these cities. And so maybe you've always wondered, like, where did these books come from? Or you're reading these parts in the New and Testament. And I always heard that they were books. Yeah. And only as an afterthought, they talked about them as letters. Yes. In my head, I was like, books. This is Paul talking to every Christian everywhere. <laughs> uh, yes. He's just like, hey, I, I had a few minutes, and I'm going to write down things that are gospel and that are the Bible now. And uh, that's yeah. not how it happened. No. He was he was an evangelist and a disciple maker and and writing these letters to churches he had planted to uh, correct what direction they were headed in, to guide them, to um, maybe encourage them in, in directions they were headed in, um, and just to kind of keep up with these churches he had planted as he would pick up and move to the next one. And it definitely like was like a, you know, a modern-day evangelist. I mean, he's just going yeah. town to town. He uses the shipping lanes. He uses the Roman road which is one of the largest infrastructures that the Romans actually did was these yeah. almost like wagon cart, like very well-maintained uh, roads for trade. Um, yeah. And so these cities would spring up in places that the Roman road and the ports were close enough to, um, you know, yeah. Ephesians, Philippi, uh, Corinth, all these places had uh, these points of contact for all these different... They had value because they were on the road. Exactly. So Just like us in Mount Vernon, we're on I-44. <laughs> if we weren't, if they built I-44 10 miles away to Monette or whatever, yeah, I feel like we'd be way smaller. We're not already that big, but we'd be way smaller 100%. and they'd be way bigger. 100%. And so, you know, Paul's strategically going there, but the whole time, even on each one of these journeys, you you can tell that he knows he needs to go to Rome. Like he needs yeah. to get to Rome. Um, and these journeys are intense. He he raises up a mentor 
uh, he, or he mentors and raises up another leader named Timothy, who he writes a couple letters to later. Yep. Uh, he interacts with um, a slave that has run away from his master, and he's calling him to return and Philemon. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and then you know you have these letters that seem to be conversational, where that he seems to have visited multiple times, and he's responding to specific cases, and yeah. he just seems to have like a lot of irons in the fire. You know, yeah. like when you read these letters, yeah. like this is one life. And, uh, you know, before 70 AD, like, it's a short amount of time that a lot yeah. of this is going on. It's pretty intense. One thing I want to clarify is his personality and his character. So we had said from the Christian perspective, he had been, he had seemed unrighteous from a Christian perspective. He's he's a, tr- out there trying to kill Christians. He's antagonistic. But he talks in Philippians uh, 3. He gives his faith pedigree. Um, yeah. Because Christianity sprung out of out of Judaism. Yep. Uh, Judaism is God's chosen people waiting for the Messiah, and Jews today think that Messiah has not shown up. Yeah. But Christians today think that he did, and so this was this this split here. And in Philippians three, he gives his faith pedigree. So so things that apply to Judaism would be like still be bonus points for mm-hmm. Christianity in general. But he's trying to say like don't put your confidence in your pedigree. So he gives his anyway to say, I'd be better than you. And I don't put confidence (laughs) in mine. So in, in uh, Philippians three, he says, uh, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews in regard to the law, a Pharisee. We, I don't know if we've talked about Pharisees a ton on here, um, but they are literally the religion police. Yep. The same way you would jokingly say, like, I'm the Navy SEAL of religious people. Yeah. And their their whole job is to go out here and police you. Yep. It's like however you feel when uh you you're at your grandma's house and you accidentally curse and you're like, I hope she doesn't get on to me about that. Yep. Like that times ten, and it's their job and they don't have to be really well, and to they you. also follow things like I know Jesse just preached a sermon on Sunday just talking about this, but you know, like if the speed limit was 70, they didn't go over 65. Like they just had that many rules yeah. in the way they, they had followed. God's rules, which are like arguably about 613. And then for each of those and more, they had rules outside of those rules. So you wouldn't get close to breaking the inner rule because you didn't break the outer rule. Yep. And they would treat those like they were the same. So Pharisee, super legalistic, yep. super righteous, yep. according to the law. So, uh, um, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, as for my passion for serving God, mm. a persecutor of the church, his his stoning of Stephen was part of his pedigree. I'm so zealous about what God wants out of this world or what I think he wants that I'm willing to go out here and kill Christians. As for righteousness based on the law, faultless. So he wasn't a pushover. He wasn't a deadbeat before. No, He was trying his hardest. And what he realizes when he meets Jesus in Acts uh, 9 is that he was just misguided, um, that God's own son appears to him and says, why are you persecuting me? And he realized that he was super off base. Even at the beginning of Acts 9, when it's talking, like kind of hinging over from Acts 7 to 8, when he was he was yeah. there with the stoning of Stephen, the beginning of it says, meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against yeah. the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found uh, any there who belonged to the way to Christianity, whether men or women, he might, dramatic page turn, 
take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. This was like not an act of uh, just hating Christians, not an act of, this was him trying to follow God the best. Yeah. He he's trying how. to protect the church yeah. or at least protect, you know, the Jewish faith at the time. So know? what's cool is his name is Saul. Mm-hmm. Is there another Saul in the Bible? Yes. yes. The first King of Israel yep. who was not very righteous. Mm-hmm. He was very selfish and tried to use God to his own advantage. But the guy after him, David mm-hmm. was other than some select choice few times and mm-hmm. really badly when he did, uh, listened to God and relied on God yep. and trusted in God and, yep. and is said to be a man after God's own heart. So Saul has this name after the legacy of a guy who was not after God's own heart. And he is trying to correct that. He wants to be a man after God's own heart. As for zeal and passion, me pursuing God's own heart, I even persecuted the church. And his his story is so incredibly powerful because he will speak um, directly to groups of uh, Christians from these cities, and eventually he will even preach and talk to and write his largest letter, Romans, to yeah. the Roman church, uh, you know, this church that actually was, when he got there thinking he was going to plant it, someone had beat him there, and there was, the church already existed yeah. to a degree. And so he's writing this letter to, you know, kind of encourage but also correct and talk about the transforming power, talk about this new life. I mean, you don't have time to go in all those letters, but you see the heart change that you're talking about, I think, in one of his most powerful statements or verses uh, pulled out of 2 Corinthians chapter 12. When he talks about this thorn in the flesh. Yeah. Um, and you hear the heart of Paul. Paul is not just about commanding uh, obedience and righteousness, though he does say it is worth more than gold and it is worth pursuing and having Christ at the center of your life and fixing your eyes on him is important. You know, he he also says things like this, talking about his own weakness. I was given a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I ble- I begged the Lord to take it away. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness and in insults and in hardships and persecution and in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Yeah. Um, the heart of that, of the humility of that, of trying to recognize that everything he's doing, he sees his own limitations and he is constantly just trying to trust in God's power to show up again. And, you know, that, that to me is a, as a pastor, I love that where it's like, no, I have things in my life that I can't all get right. I can't get perfectly right. And so I'm trying to navigate that, starting to hand that back over to God and recognize that the broken parts of me are the things that God can still work through, which is good. Yeah. I think you see Paul's heart. um, Whatever you want to say about, his beginning of his life, his life up to meeting Jesus on that Damascus road. And if you've ever heard that phrase before, I had a Damascus road experience. They're talking about Paul. They're referencing Paul in, in talking about themselves. Um, but you see him at a, at a, like a midlife crisis level crossroads um, where he is absolutely broken by it. And I think the height from which he fell helped him to be as obedient as he was and as faithful as he was along with the Holy Spirit and some other things. And um, it, it helped him to truly be all in and not try to carry his Judaism with him. Uh, he had it. He could use it. He even says at one point, I, will, will, I want to be all things to all people so that I might win some. Yeah. 
Um, so it's something he's ready and willing to use his experience as a Jewish uh, man of faith, super zealous, super faithful, super obedient. But like, he doesn't, he doesn't try to carry it like I talked about in Philippians 3 with him to say, look at how good of a Christian I am. No. I mean, yeah. it's powerful. I, Philippians is definitely my favorite letter by him. Yeah. Uh, it's the one that we're even studying in our small group right now, which I really yeah. enjoy. Um, all of his letters have incredible moments and I think are incredibly powerful when you study them. Um, I, even in Acts, I think watching his kind of narrative unfold and like seeing how much some of these, you know, you, you read through Acts and you can kind of read the chronological kind of what's going on yeah. in these trips. And so then having that knowledge, when you go back and read the epistles and these letters, I think it kind of helps it make more sense to like what he's accomplishing and the, the specifics about, you know, so he went to this town and then he went to this town and they went to this town and they went to this town. And then you read these letters and you're like, oh, wow, like some of this actually stuck, you know, like some yeah. of this is actually working. Um, you know, Paul has a, Paul has a really unique place in the, in kind of the, um, I would say the American church too, and maybe the world. I'm, I'm not as familiar with that, but you know, he has like the same amount of influence as some of the apostles, but yeah. he was not a disciple of Christ before, you know, Christ died. So like, yeah. it's kind of a unique place that he has uh, a lot of letters, a lot of influence in the Western church specifically, but it doesn't have that like, um, apostleship, you know, that like one of the 12 crowning, which is yeah. kind of a unique thing, I think, to to talk about. I mean, it's kind of That's an interesting... one of the craziest parts of the book of Acts that that he is the least qualified, him and the 12 disciples, he's the least qualified out of them in terms of like leadership handed down by Jesus. But at some point they recognize that he kind of is an apostle just like them, mm -hmm. even though he wasn't one of Jesus' original 12 followers, even though whatever... Um, but I think what's powerful in his in his uh, given apostleship is his testimony about Jesus directly. They all saw Jesus crucified. They all saw Jesus resurrected when he went to the upper room mm -hmm. and maybe met him on the shore and some other resurrection appearances. Um, but none of them had a, a, a moment like Paul did where Jesus has resurrected, he has ascended. You think he's not in the picture anymore in a, in a cameo kind of way. Mm-hmm. And then he stops because he thinks Paul is an important enough person to get a hold of. Yep. Because the testimony of him turning from being so zealously against the church to in love with the church and aspiring to be weak so that God could be shown to be strong through him is like such a big testimony that it goes after him anyway. Oh, no. And I honestly think that's part of the reason why his testimony has such a deep impact, especially in the Jewish world, because you know, Jesus says things like, I have come to complete the law. Like I'm, I'm like, I'm yeah. coming, I'm the, I'm the fullness of the law, like played out. Like, and it, yeah. it would take somebody that would know the law to that level to identify what Jesus is talking about. And so a lot of the theological stuff that Paul's breaking down has the fullness of the whole Bible picture, not just this crazy moment of resurrection, right? Not just this one. And he's putting yeah. all the pieces together. Um, and trying to help even um, you know the Jewish audience, and that's most of the time what he did was he went to the synagogues of the city first, and then would you know filter yeah. out to the Gentiles. And so, you know, there's simple places like Mars Hill when he actually goes straight to kind of the public square and of thought and wisdom and lays stuff out. But very rarely is that the first place he goes. 
Um, it's most of the time the synagogue. I, I, I love this character, and I, I know we've been talking for enough. What, what would we, I mean, in my mind, one of the things you should do is you should go to Acts and you should read Paul's, you should read Paul's accounts of his journeys. Yeah. Uh, you can Google it easy. You can just say, like, Paul's first missionary journey, where is it at in the Bible? And you can identify it, and you can read the stories and read kind of the whole play out. It's, it's powerful to kind of know that yeah. and then recognize some of the cities, you know, um, you know Ephesus, Philippi, Corinth. Um, you know, you break down some of those, uh, Galatia. You know, you can break down these regions and areas, Romans, Rome. Uh, you can break down where, where those letters were probably coming from, and you can see geographically in some maps and stuff. I think it makes it more real when you start to realize yeah. these aren't just like random things slapped together. Yeah. Um, I, uh, my first semester of Bible college, I had to take the class on the book of Acts and this whole like post resurrection story of the church and whatever. And my final project for that, you had to do some creative project. I busted out my Settlers of Catan board game and recreated the, the Asia Minor like trips that he went on and, and had sticky notes about where, where certain places were and and uh it was really dorky that's awesome but i was really proud of it <laughs> i did the same thing but i traced it onto a, a board and yeah i like traced it onto a poster and and tracked it and it's it really cool to see like you know where you got shipwrecked like where some of this stuff yeah. was happening and and all that so but the the cool thing to me is so the guy who wrote the book of acts that is like detailing paul's history where we're in a lot of the letters, we get a snapshot of his relationship mm-hmm. with somebody or with a group. In detailing his history, um, this guy, it seems like he's getting secondhand accounts for a while. And then at some point in the book of Acts, he shows up, the, the author mm-hmm. of the book, who's like the historian trying to track all this down. And that's when, uh, that's right before he gets shipwrecked. That's right before he gets arrested or, or kind of around that time. And so you have the whole account of Paul's testimony in Acts 9. And then I think three more times he tells it. And they don't just say Paul gave his story about how he met Jesus. They say, like, the testimony. They write it out yep. three more explicit times. Yep. And so you, you watch this historian, uh, this, this uh, record keeper, walk up to Paul and meet him and go on his journey with him. And he's recording every time Paul is retelling his own story and his own story is his weapon and, and his like evangelism tactic toward unbelievers and Roman officials and all these random people. Um, and it's, it's just, it's crazy to see like how, how he's using his own story, even though he has all this knowledge of the Jewish scriptures um, to, yeah, to, to people who maybe it wouldn't even matter to. Oh, of course. And, and he, he leveraged just, everything in his life yeah. that way and eventually you know he's beaten and done all this stuff to over and, and over again and i forget which town it was but he was beaten uh to the point of death and he just went right back in and started preaching again yeah. um but eventually he uses it to get a ticket to rome yeah because he is beaten uh one time in a way that a roman uh citizen was not allowed to be beaten in and he was treated uh, in a way that a Roman citizen was not allowed. And so rather than um, rather than just kind of like settle it, he actually says he wants to go and plead his case to, you know, the emperor. the emperor. And so he actually is on his way to Rome and is in Rome um, for a large portion of some of these letters, too, and house arrest. And he's kind of waiting his time. Yeah. 
Um, and we we know eventually, you know, spoilers. Uh, but that time with the uh, with the with the emperor doesn't go very well, and uh, he ends up being killed himself. Yeah. Um, and so you know, you, the whole time you kind of know that Paul ends up dying for the thing that he is so um, sold out on. I mean, this guy is just absolutely in love with Jesus. He and he wants everybody that he comes in contact to uh, to experience what he's experienced and to see the transformation in, in him as a, an offer to see what God could do in in them. Um, you know, the, yeah. the, the character of Paul really has uh, a deep, deep impact into, you know, I would call it gospel theology. There's a lot of ways that Paul unpacks some things about what Jesus actually did on the cross. I know you're teaching this class. Yeah. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of different ways that we can kind of change and take the diamond of the gospel and see the different facets and the depth of it. And, uh, you know, Paul does a really good job of, of opening up our eyes to the fullness of what Jesus yeah. really did. He's such a scholar and that comes through, but um, even in the book of first Corinthians, the book, listen to me, Look at even you. in the, le- the first letter to the church at Corinth, mm-hmm. um, they're used to good speakers, people who are smooth and polished and whatever. And he's like, I can't keep up, and I don't want to. I'd rather speak jumbled, and I'd rather speak in a bumpy, not smooth way so that, like, all all you will be able to say good about my speech is that Jesus was in it. Um, but he's he's heading towards Rome at the end of his life. He's preaching to everybody he can. And one of the coolest or weirdest parts of the book of Acts, this, this like, chronograph... Uh, this is right. Yeah, this, it's just writing down about his life. And you get to the end of the book of Acts, chapter 28, the last couple verses. He's in house arrest in Rome or something like that in his own rented house. It says, for two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Exclamation point. Done. Game over. It's the biggest cliffhanger. It's bigger than Avengers Endgame. Like, it's like, <laughs> yep. and then what? No. What happened after that? Either there is a three-volume set where the Luke, the author, wrote the gospel according to Luke, wrote the book of Acts, and then wrote the rest of what happened to Paul. And we didn't get it. Or he doesn't know, like, that's his lifespan, whatever. And he ends it there specifically to encourage Christians um, in their own boldness, in their own uh, preaching about the Lord Jesus Christ without hindrance. Yep. And I think I think when my studies and I look at it, it seems to be either the time period that Luke eventually left and then didn't have any more to record and yeah. is, is only recording what he knows. Um, and I think, you know, as a whole, the character of Paul is just an incredible one that I, I, I hope we just basically touched yeah. Uh, enough enough of different aspects and enough of different things to maybe get you curious about looking into yeah. it more because I think we cannot do it justice in a 30 minute podcast on on this character like Paul deserves more time than this and and so I I want you to read through the acts read through the books of acts or check out some of his letters like yeah read one of the small ones like, there's some tiny ones Philippians is a great place to start it's, it's four chapters place. In my Bible, not this one. It's like I don't know, three pages, and it's four it's, pages. It's easy. There's some resources on, uh, you know, the Bible Project. You can watch the breakdowns of the of the books. You mm-hmm. can get some understanding as you kind of read. Um, but I highly encourage you to check out some of Paul's stuff because he yeah. has deep impact. 
Well, I know uh, we are always looking for comments and other things that you would like to see us talk about. Maybe there's another biblical character or someone that we should be yeah. discussing. Put that in the comments. Or maybe there's a, another podcast uh, topic or thing you're looking for us to discuss soon that maybe we haven't done in a while. Um, you know, we have some, hoping to get some new people on here. We have, uh, hopefully, some things lined up here in the next couple months. I know we're breathing down the neck of Easter, so yeah. once Easter's <laughs> over, and I think it kind of opens some things up. Yeah. Uh, always feel like if you're if our content is worth uh, a subscribe, go for it or leave us a review. Um, but until next time, have a great and glorious day in the Lord. We'll see you guys later. See ya.